Well, it's good to be with you again today. I want to ask you to engage your imagination with me for a little bit, and I want you to imagine that Steve Jobs, um, one of the founders, uh, the CEO until his death of Apple, I want you to imagine that Steve Jobs, just before he died, called four people into his office. And to each of these four individuals, these four employees, he gave them a manila envelope. And he said, I see in each of you great promise. I believe if given a seed of an idea, you have the ability to do what I have done, and that is to build a successful company. So in each of these envelopes is a seed. In each of these envelopes are the schematics of a product which I have secretly been working on, Steve Jobs said, for years. And each of these products was designed by me and then produced and then tested and proven to work. Each is a product that can rival the best of what Apple has ever produced. And I'm signing over to each of you the rights to the product, believing that each of you has the potential to be a seed, or each of these has a potential to be a seed that can produce a flourishing company. And imagine that each of those four individuals accepted this envelope from Steve Jobs, and with it they also received a severance check that released them from employment at Apple. And imagine that Taylor, not necessarily Taylor Swift, but might be Taylor Swift, took her severance check and her envelope, and she went to the bank and deposited her check, and realizing that with that check and the money that she had saved, that she realized she could live quite comfortably for a number of years, so she called her travel agent and booked a four-week vacation to New Zealand. Well, Taylor gets back from her vacation, and she sits down the very next morning at her home office, at her desk, with a warm cup of coffee, And she opens the center drawer and she pulls out the envelope and she looks at the schematics that she takes out and she realizes as she looks at them that she doesn't really understand them. And she realizes that to even understand the schematics of what she's been given from Steve Jobs, she's going to have to do some research. And on top of that, she starts to realize, well, then even after I do that, I'm going to have to figure out how do you make a production company that can produce this item, and, and how do you launch a business, and, and all of that kind of made her tired, so she put the schematics back in the envelope and tucked it into the center drawer. And one day, uh, two days, three days, four days, five days, a week went by, and she hadn't opened that drawer again. A month went by, and she still hadn't opened the drawer, but one morning she got up, and she went on her early morning run, and as she came back to her apartment, she opened her door to find that everything in her apartment was, be, was tossed about, and, and there, someone had broken in. There were drawers that were open. There were tables that were overturned, and, and she was kind of surprised because as she started to straighten up the living room, she didn't notice anything that was missing, but then all of a sudden it stuck her, and she frantically ran into her home office, and she opened her middle drawer, and to discover that her envelope with the schematics given to her by Steve Jobs, the seed that could have started a company, was stolen. Well, Justin, not necessarily Justin Bieber, but it could be Justin Bieber. Justin was a little bit different than Taylor, 
The same day that he got his seed for a startup company, he ran out of Apple overjoyed and excited and he took a couple of days and he sat down and he studied the schematics and he understood them and he got some engineering friends to come over and explain them even deeper to him. And then he called some of his college friends up and he told them, hey, Steve Jobs just signed over to me the schematics for a product that he personally designed and has tested and has proven to work. Quit your jobs. Come join me. I'm starting a company. We're going to be the next Apple. Well, Justin's friends quit their job and they started a company kind of quickly. Within a week, they got a bank to loan them money so that they could begin to find a warehouse and to produce a a production line. And within a month, they had the warehouse and the production line running and they were producing some of their products. And then better than that, within the second month, Best Buy committed to selling their product. Soon after their contract with Best Buy, however, the demand for their product began to outstrip their supply. So they weren't able to fully supply everything that Best Buy wanted. And just at that moment when they were working even harder to try to figure out how to increase production, their existing customers of their new product reported back to them that there was a bug in the product. It wasn't working quite right. So frankly, Frank frantically, that's what I was trying to say, Uh, they tried to design a repair for this bug. They began to stay up nights and even weeks trying to figure out how in the world to possibly fix their product, and they were running into problems, and then as they were, then their production began to slow down, and in spite of the sleepless nights and in spite of working harder and harder to try to produce even more and more, their production actually decreased, and well, it was just all a perfect storm, and within six months of its launch... Justin's company had to close its doors. Well, unlike Taylor and unlike Justin, Bruno, maybe Mars, or maybe not, was a little bit more experienced. In fact, he was a vice president at Apple. He was the youngest vice president at Apple, and he'd risen through the ranks, and he had risen because, well, he had had worked on these kinds of products, and he had seen them launched, and he had run into bugs, and he had fixed them, and he knew what it would take to start a company. And so unlike Taylor and unlike Justin... He took his schematics home and he spent weeks just studying them. And then he began to lay out gradually, slowly, a whole plan to produce this particular, particular product. And, well, he got some people to invest with him and he took his time. And eventually, after about six, seven months, he was ready to launch his new company, Orange. That was kind of a play on words with Apple. Did you get that? Like Apple to Orange. Okay, his unnamed company was launched in six months, and we won't go with orange. And in fact, the first year of production of this new product, they made enough money that they broke even. And things were going so well that everybody that was around him began to suggest to him that maybe we should really capitalize on what we got going here, even in the first year, and we should go public with our company and and get it trading on the New York Stock Exchange and, and... All of Bruno's company around him said if they did that, well, they would have money, all the money they'd need to expand and meet demand. And plus, that'd mean raises, raises that would probably rival Apple's salaries. Well, Bruno was rather enticed by this possibility. and, And also, he had become quite worried about his own shrinking bank account as they were starting this company. 
And so Bruno made the decision to go public with this company. But the move proved to be a disaster. He underestimated the human hours and the financial cost it would take to go public. Then, when at the very first report, uh, uh, shareholder stock meeting, he had to report that they had experienced financial loss, even though the year before they had broken even and begun to make money in the first quarter. When people heard that, the value of the stock began to plummet. And it started this snowball, kind of like a snowball rolling downhill as shareholders began to sell, sell off their stock. And, and to intervene and to save the company, the board of directors of this company intervened, intervened and stepped in and removed Bruno as CEO of his own company. Well, the first fourth person to receive an envelope was a woman by the name of Sophia, which means wise, which may or may not be a commentary on the other names I chose. (laughs) Sophia, when she received her schematics from Steve Jobs, unlike Taylor, she sat down and studied them. And unlike Justin, she took her time launching her company and she put down kind of deep roots and Unlike Bruno, she did not let worry and greed cloud her decision-making. Because of this, Sophia's company grew and flourished. In fact, the day came that Sophia's company was the size of Apple itself, offering all kinds of products and services. And, And so it was that one day, just before her retirement, Sophia called into her office, not for promising employees, but eight. And she said to the eight of them, I see in each of you a great promise. I believe if I give you a seed of an idea, you can do what I have done and build a successful company. And with that, Sophia handed out eight manila envelopes, each with the schematics of a product which she herself had designed and produced and tested. Each with a product that could rival the best of what her company ever produced. Well, that story is a modernized version, modernized version of a story that Jesus once told. In Jesus' story, Steve Jobs is a farmer, <laughs> and the schematics are seeds. And the four different types of people that I had in my story are actually four types of soil in Jesus' story. I want us to read together Jesus' version of this story, and I want to invite you to stand as we read it together. This story comes to us in Matthew chapter 13, and Jesus told his story this way. Let's read out loud together. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Thank you. You may be seated. 
What is unique about this story is that Jesus actually explains the meaning of his story. He doesn't usually do this with parables, but a little later on in Matthew chapter 13, we read these words in which Jesus explains this particular parable. Beginning in verse 18, it says, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means, Jesus said. When people hear the message about the kingdom and do not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to people who hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling along or among the thorns refers to people who hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to people who hear the word and understand it. They produce a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Today we continue in this series, No Ifs, Ands, or Buts. And today's message is entitled, But I Don't Have What It Takes. What in the world does this story have to do with that excuse? Well, in this story, each seed that the farmer scatters, each schematic that Jobs handed out, had the capacity to spring to life. It had the capacity each seed did to to take root. And each seed had the capacity to produce fruit. In fact, each seed had the capacity to bear fruit that was greater than that particular individual seed. And then each seed had the capacity to become part of a whole field or a whole mighty harvest that would have been 30 or 60 or even times 100 times greater than what was sown as seed. And the same is true for you and for me. If you are a follower of Jesus, if Jesus is the forgiver of your sins and is the leader of your life, if you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you have the seed of the kingdom of God planted in you. Which means that we have planted in us the capacity to spring to life, to put down roots, to bear kingdom fruit. We have the capacity in each one of us to live a life that produces kingdom fruit. And not only that, to become part of a final harvest, a mighty harvest that is 30, 60, 100 times greater than what was sown by God in the beginning. So my answer to the excuse, but I don't have what it takes, is if you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you have the seed of what it takes. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Philippians 1, chapter 6, writing to this church he helped form. He says, Be confident. Be confident of this, that God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Be confident, Paul says, that God has planted the seed of what it takes inside of you and wants to see it to completion. God's planted a seed that he wants to see spring to life, a seed that he wants to see take root, a seed that he wants to see grow and bear fruit. The question is not, do I have what it takes? 
You have the seed of what it takes. The question is, will I cooperate? Will I cooperate with the seed that God has already planted? But how exactly do we cooperate? How do we cooperate with the good work that God is already doing in us and wants to do through us? Well, in this parable, Jesus offers some clear instruction based on the three types of soil that fail to allow the, spring to, the seed to spring to life or to take root or to bear fruit. These, these three soils that are kind of resisting instead of cooperating instruct us on how to cooperate with the kingdom that is within us. In Jesus' story, the first seed falls on a well-worn, hard-packed path. Jesus says a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came up and ate it. What makes our lives hard and that, that the seed of the kingdom is not able to kind of spring to life? Well, Jesus explains it this way. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When people say or hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. Understanding the message about the kingdom softens the soil so the the seed can spring to life. We have the seed of what it takes, We just need to cooperate. We need to cooperate by working to understand the kingdom. Now, the subject of the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, which is the same thing in the Bible, was Jesus' central message while he was here on earth. He begins almost all of his parables, all of his stories, with the phrase, the kingdom of God is like. Yet often in North American evangelical churches, the kingdom of heaven is not the central message that is taught. Or when it is taught, it's taught in ways that aren't quite like what Jesus really probably meant. Often our central message is about going to heaven after we die. Yet Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's often taught within many churches that the kingdom of God is about getting raptured up there. Yet Jesus taught that the kingdom of God is actually about addressing the rupture down here. So because we often don't understand the very nature of the kingdom of God, we don't understand the mission of the kingdom of God, we don't understand the values of the kingdom of God, we don't understand the the method and the power we don't often cooperate with the seed of the kingdom planted in us or cooperate with the seeds of the kingdom that have been scattered around us. You see, we have the seed of what it takes. We just don't cooperate. And we don't cooperate because we do not do the work to understand the kingdom. Like the characters in this story, especially the first one, who was unwilling to really study the schematic and understand what was really going on, we often don't invest in studying and understanding the kingdom. 
Now, there's so much to the topic of the kingdom of God that it took Jesus three and a half years of teaching on the subject to probably cover at least most of it. And we don't have three and a half years today, so let me pick just one aspect of the kingdom of God to kind of drive home. And it relates already to what I've talked about in this idea of the seed. And to do so, I want to tell you one other story that Jesus told, a very short one. It comes to us in Mark chapter 4, and it's about a sower and a seed. But notice that in this telling of this story, the focus is not on the soil. But again, as I was trying to draw attention to the seed. It goes like this. Jesus said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day... Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the seed produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Sounds a lot like what we just read, right? But notice that the emphasis in this telling of the story is really just on the seed, That seed grows. That's what seed does. And the important thing to understand about the kingdom of God is that it is at work down here on earth. Jesus came announcing, the kingdom of heaven has come near. It is at hand. He didn't say, go up to heaven and you'll meet the kingdom of God. He said, be down here and have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that's open and you'll encounter the kingdom of God. There is this force that is now at work, a new and expanded force that is at work with Jesus being here that is renewing and rebuilding and restoring. We just sang about it, actually. That newer song, all about the power of God's love restoring and renewing and rebuilding. It's restoring brokenness. It's restoring the brokenness in us individually, but also it's at work around us wanting to renew and rebuild and restore all kinds of things. It wants to renew and rebuild and restore broken relationships. It wants to restore and renew and rebuild broken neighborhoods and workplaces, and social structures. And the good news is we can't do that by ourselves, but Jesus came announcing the kingdom, releasing the kingdom through his death and resurrection in a new and expanded way such that it is a work going on around us and in us if we will just cooperate. And we can cooperate when we start to understand the kingdom. How well do you know and understand Jesus' teaching on the kingdom? Are you willing to work to understand it? If you will, you will see the seed of the good work that God is doing in you spring to life. If you'll put in the work, you'll begin to see a seed that is being planted all around you that you could possibly participate with. Because God's already at work and wants to know if you're willing to join. So I suggest to you we have the seed. We have the seed of what it takes. We just need to cooperate by working to understand the kingdom. But we need to cooperate in another way too. 
Because Jesus says some seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow. So when the sun came up, and the, plant, the plants actually were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. And Jesus explains it this way. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to people who hear the word and at once receive it with joy. Springs up. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. These people understand the kingdom. They understand some aspect of it, and they receive it with joy, and they celebrate it. But after the seed springs to life, they don't put down deep roots. And so when tough times come, suddenly they abandon the faith, or they abandon that aspect of the faith that God has given them to work on. If they understand the message, why in the world wouldn't they put down deep roots? Well, a couple of chapters earlier in this, in Matthew, Jesus is teaching about this exact subject again. And in it, he gives us a clue that it takes more than just hearing and just understanding in order to put down roots, to put down a faith that's going to withstand the storms of life. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells another parable, an analogy, different analogy, not seeds and sower and soil, but a little different. Listen to this. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, they understand it, they receive it, and puts them into practice, is like a wise person who builds their house on the rock. The rain comes down, the storms rise, and the winds blow and beat against the house, yet it does not fall because... It had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish person who builds their house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a mighty crash. You see, it's not enough just to understand the kingdom or some aspect of the kingdom. We have to put what we understand into practice. And when we put what we understand into practice, it puts down roots. Roots that can make it possible for us to withstand the storms of life. So I ask you, are you cooperating with the seed of the kingdom planted within you? Are you seeking understanding? Are you putting into practice what you understand of the kingdom? Are you becoming more loving of God and self and neighbor? Are you doing to others as you would have them do to you, as Jesus taught us? Are you praying? Are you a person of fasting according to how Jesus taught it? Are you learning to even pray for your enemies and those who resist you? That's just a few of Jesus' teachings on the kingdom that we are called to put into practice. My friends, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we have the seed of what it takes planted in us. We need to cooperate. But there's another really, really important way we have to learn to cooperate. And I find this part of it the hardest part to cooperate with. (laughs) 
Jesus goes on and talks about another type of soil. He says the seed falls among the thorns, referring to people who hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. We have the seed of what it takes. We just need to cooperate by plucking out the weed of worry and the weed of greed. Jesus can get a little too practical sometimes, don't you think? The weeds of worry and of greed, they suck out the nutrition that was in the soil intended to go up into the plant and to bear fruit. And because it's sucking it out, what's left is this stalk that stands there taking up space in the field but bearing no fruit. How do we pluck out the weed of worry? So that we can bear kingdom fruit. Again, early in Matthew, Jesus is talking about this very subject again. And he says this, and he offers a promise. He says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? He goes on to say, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the non-Christians, run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. But, he says, instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus offers a promise. If we will seek first the kingdom of God, we have nothing to worry about. God knows what he needs, and he promises to meet our needs according to his riches in glory. So I ask you, are you cooperating? Are you cooperating with the seed that has been planted within you by plucking out the weed of worry? How much is worry choking out your ability to bear fruit? How good are you at trusting God to worry about what you need? How able are you to prioritize God's kingdom and right relationships within the kingdom? Do you truly believe that if you seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, God will take care of you? We have the seed of what it takes. We'll just need to cooperate. We need to cooperate by plucking out also, Jesus says, the weed of greed. <laughs> Yesterday I was uh, watching TV as I was running on the treadmill. Okay, running might be an overstatement. As I was plodding along on the treadmill. <laughs> and I saw this commercial in which a man in designer clothes gets out of a yellow, I think it was Lamborghini. It was some yellow sports car, really fancy. As he's walking away from the car that had, you know, one of those doors that hinges and goes down, as he walks away, he kind of over the shoulder kind of hits his remote and, and locks the doors, and you hear this beep, beep, you know that sound? And as he does, the words come on the screen, the good life. Then the scene jumped to this, a little bit overweight man wearing plaid clothes walking away from a Learjet. Get the mental picture? 
And he too holds up a remote over his shoulder and clicks it and there is this sound of beep, beep as the doors on the dear Learjet close. And then the words pop up, not the good life, but the Powerball life. (laughs) That was pretty clever commercial, I thought. More than you did, apparently. But (laughs) the world is telling us that wealth is the way to happiness. The more you have of it, the more life you have. And yet Jesus comes along and says that one of the greatest enemies of fruitfulness in the kingdom of God is greed. The deceitfulness of wealth. The choosing to pursue it for life. It chokes out kingdom fruitfulness in our life So that we just kind of stand there. We're in the kingdom of God and we're in the field, but we're just a stock. Not really bearing fruit. We might have sprung up to life. We might have even put down roots. But there's no fruit of generosity. Because greed has sucked it out of us. How much do you have to have the newest and the nicest? How much do you commit to kind of like acquiring more and more and more? Thinking, if I have a little bit more, I'll have a little more life. When God looks at your bank account and my bank account, does God see greed sucking out generosity? I believe the story of this sower and the seed and the soil teaches us that we have what it takes. As Brian prayed a little bit earlier, we we fail to understand the work of God at work within us. Paul says, be confident of this, that God who began this good work in you will see it to completion if you'll just cooperate with him. We have what it takes. We just need to cooperate. And if we will, This story suggests to us that we can become those who produce fruit with our lives. More fruit than what was ever even really even invested in us. And not only that, we get to be together part of a harvest. A mighty harvest of 30, 60 times what was sown. And I know for myself, I want to see God do that with my life. And our lives. So let's believe that we have the seed of what it takes. And let's cooperate. Amen?